In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. Go ye therefore into all the world and preach the gospel. Welcome to Light of the Southwest. I'm your host, Lonnie Poindexter, and joining me today is my co-host, Miss Amy Cooper. Hola. Amy, pretty exciting day, isn't it? It's beyond exciting. Yes, it is. We have a special guest on the show today. We've been looking forward to this for some time and got the moon and the stars aligned up and the schedules and everything worked out, and we want to welcome to the show Bishop E.W. Jackson from Virginia. Yay. Well, thank you for having me, Lonnie, Amy. It's a pleasure to be with you. Well, and Bishop has a long list of accolades and accomplishments, of which it'll take me 15 minutes to read all of them. Um, but many of the accomplishments is, um, well, you embody that intersection between faith and public policy. Literally, I had the great pleasure of meeting you back in 2013 when you were a candidate for lieutenant governor in Virginia. Uh -huh. And then most recently, you ran for the Senate. And so you embody those, the clergy of old, when you look at the history of this nation, America, who um, not only um, stand behind the pulpit and profess the gospel, but also participate in the halls of governance as well. You know, it's interesting you say that because, of course, I went to law school, practiced law for many years. And I have to tell you, for, for years, I would say to the Lord, Lord, why both? Why am I pastoring and practicing law? Why, why, why can't I just do one? <laughs> Uh, which my, my heart was really in pastoring, but, but I had this legal skill and, and it was a way of earning a living and, and, and I got some satisfaction out of it. It wasn't until I ran for office that it made sense, uh. that the Lord had given me this background in public policy and in law because I really needed it in order to be effective uh, in public policy discussions at the level that I believe he had in mind for me. So. Um, it, it, the question kind of got answered with my public policy involvement. Well, Bishop, you know, I use you as an example to challenge on other members of clergy to do exactly that. Um, I, I think that the reason why we're in the mess that we're in in America today is because the church is not being salt and light in every facet of society. I'm taking those cues right from you and what I hear you say, not only from the pulpit, but also from Capitol Hill when you're there. Well, you know, look, it, People say, you're involved in politics. Ministers shouldn't be involved in politics. But I really do sincerely see it, not quote unquote, as politics from my perspective, but as prophetic ministry. I yes. say, I'm no more involved in politics than Moses was when he went down into Egypt oh and God. told the head of the government, God said, let my people go. Mm -hmm. Or that Elijah was when he told Ahab and Jezebel, you're, you're troubling the land. Uh, and you could go right down the line. Uh, that God calls his people to speak to power and to bring his truth to bear on it. And so for me, it's really just an extension of ministry. And I think 
the question should be asked of ministers who somehow refuse to, won't get involved. Why are you leaving out that part of ministry and only focusing on this part? I think, you know, we've got to, we've got to, to give people the whole counsel of God. And that means not just how do you treat your wife and your marriage, but what kind of society, community, country do you want to have? And what can you do to influence that? You know, whenever you have like in nations where for the very first time the people get to vote Mm -hmm. and how the and they're actually risking their own lives when they do go vote. And you look at the people in America and you're like, you know, we have such a gift from God here. Mm. It is such a gift from God. Men gave their lives for this gift. Mm. Amen. Don't take it for granted. I think, Bishop, that often the church looks for excuses to remain silent. And because because of that, the PC culture has entered the church and affected the church Mm. instead of the church affecting the culture. And when that happens, then you... I, I just have this little belief that when you truly bend your knee to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, mm-hmm. you start conforming to his image. You don't relish any participating in any kind of sin that he calls sin. Amen. In anything that he calls sin, mm-hmm. much less stand up publicly and declare this is what I'm doing right. and have no shame about it. So the church has been so infiltrated by things that just have made us ineffective. Hey, and you know, Amy, I, I think it's even worse than what you're suggesting in this sense. To me, political correctness is cultural totalitarianism. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not the government, but it's, it's institutions of society that are saying to society, to every individual, you will think this way, you will speak this way, you will behave this way, and if you refuse to conform, you will be punished. Right. Mm-hmm. You may lose your job, you may lose your business, you may lose your reputation, uh, you may be publicly humiliated, but you will conform. And the church is supposed to be the only institution of society that says, bring it on. That's yes. right. Because the God we serve is able, and you will not intimidate me into being something less than who God called me to be, into doing something less than what God called me to do. Mm. Uh, and, and, and you're right, the church has in many ways abdicated, but what it is really doing is not only surrendering its own freedom, it's surrendering the freedom of the entire society. Yes, it is. And so this is, this is serious business we're about. And, you know, one you know, of the things that really concerns me is how even, we talked about this at dinner last night, how even corporations now, they support anything that the church doesn't. That's kind of scary. Well, ask Kelvin Cochran, yes. a friend of mine in Atlanta, who not because of anything he did at work, Mm -hmm. lost his job as fire chief because he dared in church now say that God defines marriage as a union between one man and one woman. Somebody went to the mayor, reported that, he was suspended, then fired. Now, of course, it was ultimately deemed to be unlawful and he was compensated for it, 
but he lost the career he often talked about. He said, as a kid, I, I wanted to be a firefighter. Mm -hmm. That was my dream. Mm -hmm. And this PC culture took it away from him because he dared in church to say, this is what the Bible teaches. This is what I believe. And you're right. I mean, this is happening in government. It's happening in the big tech uh, community, Google and Facebook and Twitter, but it's happening in general in the corporate world. The corporate world has really bowed to this stuff. And, and, and here again, I don't want to dump obviously on the Christian community, but, but you have to say, we've been allowing this stuff for a long time. Which is why they've become emboldened. Yep. And it's like, we are at a point, I believe that if the church doesn't stand up in mass together and link arms and say, no, enough is enough. It's got to stop. And look, and if we don't, I think we're going to lose it all. We're certainly the freedom that this nation has represented for all of us uh, is going to be lost. And, and by increments is being lost now. When, when, a, when a football coach gets fired, mm -hmm. not for anything on the field during the game, mm -hmm. but for saying, hey, anybody wants to join me after the game, we're gonna pray. Mm -hmm. Oh, you, you can't do that. I mean, after the game, mm -hmm. on the field, mm -hmm. voluntarily for anybody who wants to join me? But no, you can't do that. If you do that, we'll punish you. When a, when a baker says, I, I'll bake any cake you want, but I can't bake a gay wedding cake, as they would call it, because that's against my faith. Oh, really? Well, then prepare to lose your job, prepare to lose your business, prepare to be fined, prepare to have people stand outside your business and protest. I mean, this, this stuff, you're right. If the church doesn't stand up, uh, this is never going to stop. It's only going to get worse. And of course, teaching your children things that you object to, too bad. You think you're a parent who has a right to teach your children what you want? No, you don't. The state has the right to tell them whatever we want. So. I, I think the church ought to be alarmed. Uh, socialism, Marxism, communism, these are anti-God ideologies. Yes. And the church really ought to be alarmed and ought to be moved to action uh, to protect the freedom that we ought to hold very, very dear. I, mm -hmm. would, I would hope that the church would love their children enough and their grandchildren and their offspring that they can't see down the road. Sometimes though, I think that maybe they're silent because they think that return of Messiah is so imminent that, you know, it's gonna get bad, we're out of here anyway, so who cares? Yeah, I call that the uh, having your bags packed waiting at the train station yeah. for Jesus to come. Yeah, you know, I know yeah. there, there's an awful lot of uh, Asian people in China that are being tortured, waiting with their bags packed, ready to go. That's not what is happening around the world. And it's like, church, what makes you think this won't happen here? You're supposed to fight the, the good fight of faith until the triumphant return. Amen. Okay, Amen. another burr under mm -hmm. my saddle all the time is the things that we're seeing that are destroying people. Destroying people. It's one thing to be politically correct. It's a whole nother thing to know that you serve the God who can heal, mm -hmm. deliver, and restore. And you're remaining silent and letting oodles of people have miserable lives, not know God at all, and spend eternity without him.
Not and, a pretty picture. Uh, look, you know, the Bible says judgment begins at the house of God. House of God. Sometimes I shudder mm -hmm. to think what is going to have to happen to the church before we wake up, because you're right. We're, Jesus said, as I read the Bible, he came for two reasons. One, he said, I came to seek and to save that which was lost. And the other, Pilate asked him, are you a king? He said, for this cause I came into the world to bear witness to the truth. All who are of the truth hear my voice. Seeking to save that which is lost, bear witness to the truth. And then Jesus said, as the Father has sent me, even so I send you. Which means that's got to be our mission too. Yes. Seeking to save that which was lost, bear witness to the truth. Cowardice, laziness, complacency, whatever the cause, too much of the church has decided they're really not going to do either right. because they don't want to offend anybody. I had people come to me one time, some Christians come to me and say, what do we do? Our pastors are inviting some Muslims and Hindus and people into the church. And we said, oh, well, that's great because we're going to have a chance to witness to them about Jesus. And the pastor said, oh, no, 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 don't offend them that way because after all, their faith is equal to our faith and we'll learn from them uh, as much as they might learn from us. And, and, what? <laughs> you know, that's certainly not seeking and saving that which is lost and it's not bearing witness to the truth. It's not. It's not. And you hear that often with the churches that are and doing that's the that. problem. It was the pastor who was saying no. Mm -hmm. So what do we do about that? Because the sheep follow the shepherd. Yeah which is why God gives very, very foreboding warnings to shepherds. But if they don't want to do what God says, how are we going to get through to the sheep? Well, when I was in Boston, I, I had a radio station, ran a radio station for about nine years, and um, I had this very problem at the time before the rest of the country knew about it, they were seeking to pass a gay rights bill. Mm -hmm. And uh, of course, <clears throat> I was concerned about it and, and so were many Christians. The pastors didn't seem to be so much. Right. And um, I went on the radio and editorialized on it. And the Christians, the grassroots, church going Christians got worked up mm -hmm. and went to their pastors and said, is what this Reverend Jackson saying, is this true? Is this actually happening? Because we ought to be concerned about this. And lo and behold, when the people got worked up about it, the pastors suddenly said, you know what? This is a serious problem. <laughs> and, uh, and I was able to get them motivated. So right. look, I think people are gonna have to vote with their feet and say, pastor, this is a concern to me. If this is something that's not a concern to you, you don't feel you can lead, I've got to find another church. Mm -hmm. um, or to speak to their pastors about it. And I think receptive pastors will say, you know what, you're right. I haven't been thinking about it, but let's figure out what we can do to get focused on it. So I think the people are frankly going to be more critical in how this gets resolved than the leaders are who right. feel they've got so much to lose. And that's the problem. They feel like they have so much to lose in this life instead of fearing God. Amen. But we need to get them on board. So yes, you know, I already told you, one of my, my heart cries right now is a little boy in Texas who's nine years old. 
and his mom is dressing him up and letting him prance in a bar. And I do not understand for the life of me why the church is remaining silent on this. It's child abuse. What are you doing? He's nine years old. And it's like, church, talk to your pastors, do something, get involved. I've talked to people who are like, no, our, our pastor doesn't want to be involved in stuff like that. He doesn't want to do that. Well, light a fire under him or go somewhere where a fire's lit. Exactly. You know, when I was in Boston practicing law, I represented a number of parents mm -hmm. who were accused of abuse because, you know, the laws in Boston followed what's happened in most of the country, which is parents came under the scrutiny of the state. Right. You had to watch what you did and corporal punishment was outlawed. And this is not, not exaggerating. The Department of Social Services felt that if you made your child go to church, that was a sign of abuse. And I had to defend parents if they came under any kind of scrutiny. One of the first questions, do you make your children go to church? Yes. Let's, let's make a note of that. Here, the church is being treated like a symbol of abuse of children yes. because we want to teach our children about God. Yes. We want to teach them to love him, to serve him. And here's somebody messing at a tender, immature age with a child's gender identity and people are silent. Yeah. So you're right. I mean, the church has got to say, that's real abuse because that child is too young to have a parent encouraging it to be gender confused and, and, and go through all this. I mean, you're absolutely right, Amy. I, I don't understand sometimes the church's silence. And when I speak up, sometimes I catch a lot of flack, sometimes from so-called Christians. Right. But for those whose hearts are right with God, we've got to do it because I think those are the people who will say, you know what? He's right. Mm -hmm. I stand with him. And I see that happen as well. So that's encouraging. I have relatives in California who have foster children or had foster children. And they had to sneak and talk to their foster children about Jesus. They had to sneak to take those foster children to church. Now, they had those foster children a number of years for all intents and um, intents of purposes. Those, um, those, those were their children. They called mm -hmm. foster parents mom and dad. And I said, you can't, this is no, if, we, if they were to find out that we're talking to these children about Jesus and taking them to church, like you said, they make notations and they use that as grounds. They can take these yep. children. So eventually it came full circle on that. And they looked to pluck those children. They had four foster children. Well, the long story short is my relatives their end game was they ad adopted the children to keep them from taking the children from them. See, that's where we are today. Calling good evil mm -hmm. and evil good, putting darkness for light and yeah. light for darkness. That is exactly yeah. where we are today. Um, my, uh, so go ahead. I have to say this because scripture tells us that that is what's going to happen. Mm -hmm. They'll call good evil, evil good, It'll be worse than it was in the days of Noah, yep. which was so bad, God had to flood the earth and start over. But that is not 
a word from the Lord of, this is what's going to happen. Grin and bear it. It's God's warning to us. This is what's going to happen. And it's going to be harder for you to stand against this if you let it get to this point. But stand against it, you must, because you know what? If you're mine, you have to stand on every word I've spoken. Amen. I love the way you put that, because that's how I interpret Scripture. And folks see it as a foregone conclusion. Well, the the Word of God said this is going to come to pass, Lonnie. So I said, I said, my understanding is the Word of God said this will come to pass if we don't do what we're supposed to do. This what Scripture is confirming. But since it's already happened, then we don't have to do anything, right? <laughs> then again, bags at the train station waiting exactly. for Jesus. Yeah, rapture me out of here, Jesus. <laughs> would, would, would anybody accept that as the appropriate approach to their family, their children? Well, you know, most people are going to be lost Anyway, so, yeah, my children probably go to hell, but there's nothing you can do about that. No, any reasonable Christian parent is going to pray and witness and teach because you know your children could left to their own devices, but you don't want them to do that. Right. I say about when people talk about America, well, you know, America's the end is coming and America's been judged. And and I say, listen, I know which. That what the, what's going to happen in the world, Jesus says, iniquity, iniquity will abound, the love of many will grow cold, and men will be lovers of themselves and haters of God. I said, and I know that I can't control the ultimate outcome of history, which is Jesus is going to come to correct all this. I said, but here's what I'm committed to doing, making sure that when he comes, my country is not one of those goat nations, that, my, that he comes and finds my country, a nation of which he can say, blessed is America, because her God is the Lord. And, and even if I'm not successful, I'm going to fight for that until I breathe my last right. breath. And I really believe that we can be successful as Christians if we will come together and do it. I, I believe the same thing. I really believe that God has given us a window and really he has sounded the alarm. Mm-hmm. Amen. He has let so many things that have been covered up be the headlines now and you're sitting there going what how is that happening because of all the stuff that's been happening behind the scenes all this time mm-hmm. you know we're called to be warriors not weasels <laughs> and, and and christians ought to be in the forefront because you know i've said it, i get a lot of nasty mail and i've got threats and all of that but i say look if they kill me it's a promotion and Besides that, you can't kill me until God is done with what I have to do here. So what do I have to be afraid of? Yes. But, but unfortunately, you know, and, and of course the scripture warns us against this in, in 1 John, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. And when a pastor falls in love with the, the offering and with the numbers and with the beautiful building and with all these accoutrements that he or she has, you are loving the world because all those things are going to pass. I don't care how beautiful they are. It is the people of God that are your eternal testimony. And if you're not teaching them and leading them right, you don't really have, God's not gonna come back. Wow, look at that beautiful building you built. I am so impressed. What a great job. (laughs) No, he's gonna be saying to you, I warned you that the love of many was going to wax cold. Why is everybody in your congregation 
part of the mini. And why didn't you tell them? That's right. What I told you to tell them. You know, I've said to, to my congregation from time to time, listen, if you don't like what I'm saying, go wait in the car until I'm done. But I'm not going to quit mm -hmm. because you didn't call me. Mm -hmm. You didn't give me a heaven to go to. You didn't save me from hell. God did. And I'm going to say what God has for me to say. And you can say I'm not black. You can say I'm a sellout. You can call me an Uncle Todd. You can call me whatever you want to call me. What I'm concerned about is that when I stand before God, I want to hear him say, well done, son. Well done. You see, all this other stuff doesn't really matter. Right. And I want to be able to say, Lord, I fought the good fight. I finished my course. I kept the faith. And now I know there's laid up a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge will give me in that day. All the other stuff doesn't really matter. And unfortunately for a lot of people, all the other stuff is all that matters. Mm -hmm. And of course, and, and I don't want to, to, to minimize this. We know there are many wonderful pastors out there. God there bless them. There I are. don't want to ever we suggest the otherwise. We want all the ones GLC to come and share. <laughs> okay, amen. amen. So I don't want to ever minimize that. But we also know if George Barner's numbers are right, 75% of the churches in America no longer even believe that the Bible is the word of God. And only 10% of those churches that do right. are willing to take a stand on it. Take a stand. Ooh, we're down to those numbers we're down at to the, the revolution. We're down to the remnant of the remnant. <laughs> I mean, so. No, when I say the revolution, it was because the American Revolution was actually only 9% of the people participated in that. So it's like, Amen. you know, I'm listening to you and, I, and I'm like, okay, Lord, this is amazing that this is who you became. There's a mighty man of God who stands in the face of adversity day after day after day and proclaims truth to set people free. And when I know about your history, I'm like, Lord, that is the most amazing thing. It's the difference of a father in somebody's life. So I am switching gears right here because I want people to know how God made you the man that he made you because it wasn't by accident. Amen. Well, listen, I, I told this story in an earlier program, got a little emotional. Maybe I can stay calmer this time, but... No, I, you can cry. We have... I, I, I got was, the tissue close. <laughs> I was... Look, my mother and father were breaking up about the time I was born. And um, so I was placed in foster care almost at birth and shuttled around from one home to another for the first 18 months. Uh, and then finally placed in the home of Willie and Rebecca Molette at 18 months old. And they kept me until I was 10. And my mother, I almost never saw because she got caught up with Jehovah's Witnesses. And uh, literally, when I, I would see my mother, literally, I'd pass by her in a car. She'd be standing in front of a liquor store handing out Watchtower and Awake magazines. And that was pretty much all I saw of her. Uh, my father, I did visit with from time to time. But I was being raised by Willie and Rebecca Mollette. And by the age of 10, I was a straight up juvenile delinquent. I was a member of the Pennell Street gang. Uh, we were already committing petty crimes. Uh, I was going to school only when it was convenient, when I felt like it. 
Um, we were having gang fights that while, thank God, we weren't using knives or guns, they were very serious and very, very vicious. In fact, one of my friends who was a member of my gang, Herman Cooper, ended up killing another friend, Rabbit, and doing life in prison for it. Mm. And that's the track I was on without mm. any question. So we were, the, the people we admired were not somebody like a Ben Carson. Mm -hmm. We admired the thug, right. the guy who'd been to jail. He was tough. He came, oh man, yeah, we all want to be like him. Uh, and one day uh, in August of, of when I was 10 years old, my father pulled up. I was hanging out on a street corner with my gang and my father pulled up and I saw him. He rolled down the window and pointed his finger at me and said, come here. I walked over there and my father said, you said you want to live with me. He said, do you still want to come live with me? And I said, yeah, dad, I want to come live with you. He said, get in. I got in the car. My father took me to my foster home. It was only about two blocks away. Mm -hmm. Walked in and told my foster mother, Miss Beck. Her name was Rebecca Mollett, but he called her Miss Beck. I called her mama. And he said, Miss Beck, I've come to take my son. He said, if I don't take Earl now, he said, we're going to lose him. And my father said to her, because you know what? He's gotten too hard for everybody else, but he's just right for me. And she became hysterical. Because I mean, think about it. She 18 months to, I'm, I'm her child. Yeah. And he said, uh, but I'm taking him. She said, well, wait, let me go. I got to check with the social services. I got to check with the courts. And my father said, well, I never gave my son to anybody. And so you go check with whoever you need to check, check with, I'm taking him. Well, let me get his stuff ready. My father said, I'll send for whatever he needs. And literally in 30 minutes, my life changed dramatically because wow. he put me in his car. He took me to live with him. He had only had a little two, one bedroom apartment actually, because in those early days, he and I slept in, in, in uh, this double bed he had. Uh -huh. and, but my father sat me down when he got me there. He said, now son, he said, I've always loved you. And he explained to me, he said, I, you were too young for me to try to take care of you. He said, but you, you, you're going to live with me now. He said, and every day with me will be like a day of heaven on earth or every day I will tear your behind all to pieces. <laughs> I, he, I'll never forget it. He literally yeah. said that yeah. and he meant it. Yeah. Um, he said, you know, I expect you to do well in school. I expect you to obey me. He said, you're going to stop hanging around with those kids you were hanging around when I took you off that corner. He said, when I come home from work, because school would let out, I'd get home about 2.30, 3 o'clock. He got off work about 4.30, 5 o'clock. Uh -huh. So it was about two or three hour gap there. Right. And he would say, in the warm weather, said, you can go out and play. He said, but when I walk in, when I come home, he said, I'm going to walk up on this porch and I'm going to call your name. He said, and I'm not going to have to shout. Be within earshot. And when he would come home, I'd hear his voice and I'd come running. And so I stopped hanging around with that crew. I literally went from failing in fifth grade, almost being kept back, really kind of thought I was dumb and did school had no interest to being an A student in sixth grade. And when mm -hmm. people ask, how in the world did you get into Harvard Law School in the 1970s? Mm -hmm. My dad. Yes. Because my dad told me, son, I don't ex accept excuses. I don't accept reasons why you can't. You can do anything you want to do. And you know, it's interesting, and I rarely tell this part, but, but my father used to say to me, if, he, 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 you say this, son, you're going to face opposition. There will be people who would be against you for whatever reason. Mm -hmm. He said, but let me tell you, when people find out 
that you want to do something with your life, yes. help will come from unexpected places. Yes. So he gave me this optimistic view about America. My father never told me, America's <coughs> a vicious place, America's a racist place, you'll never make it. He, and, and you know where he got that from? When he was a hobo during the depression. Mm. And my father said we would get off the trains. Hobos, for those who may not know, hobos weren't homeless people. Right. They were guys who went, rode the trains right. from city to town to town looking for, work. looking for work. He said we would get off from all races. Mm -hmm. And people who were doing well, sometimes you have to cross their backyards mm -hmm. trying to get into a town. Right. He said, and people would come out with sandwiches. Uh -huh. He said, first fat back sandwich I ever ate. He said, I never thought I'd like a fat back sandwich. He said, but they, they didn't care what your race was. They didn't care who you were. They were Americans trying to help other Americans. So he said, they're good people out there. And don't you ever let anybody tell you different. Mm. He taught me to love this country. And I, to this day, I say I'm a conservative, not because of the Republican Party or or some conservative. I'm, I'm conservative because my father instilled these, ver these values in me and taught me to love my country and to be optimistic about what's possible. When you uh, were talking about before your daddy picked you up and how you were feeling about yourself, But who the who all your little gang member friends looked up to? It was the thugs. Yep. Why were they looking up to the thugs? Because they didn't have a real man to be a role model for them. Yep. That's the only reason why they would look up to the thugs. Yep. It's the yep. only reason why. And it's their perception of this is what a man is. It's a it's the mean ones. It's the ones who, you know, but that's not what a man is. Before my father took me to live with him, I did not feel loved. Mm -hmm. I didn't. I thought, what's wrong with me? Mm -hmm. Why aren't my mother and father, why aren't I with them? Mm -hmm. And my foster parents did the best they could. God bless them. Yes. But they couldn't substitute for that sense that I had mm -hmm. that I was abandoned, that there was something wrong with me, that mm -hmm. there was something worthless about me. <laughs> this is tough to talk about. Mm -hmm. But I remember when I went to live with my father, he would come in at night mm -hmm. and put his hands on my head. Mm. He wasn't a big hugger and kisser and all that, but just put his hand on my head. And I remember my, the feeling like, my daddy loves me. Yes. And it made all the difference in the world. And you know, when, as I got on in life and began to do well academically, whenever I faced a situation where somebody told me, you can't, mm -hmm. I would think of my father. Mm -hmm. And I said, oh, yes, I can. Because I knew I was loved. I knew mm -hmm. that my father saw great things in me. And I began to see myself through his eyes yes. rather than through the eyes of, of the kids I hung, on and, uh, hung out with on the streets or the thugs in the street or even my foster parents. So, yes. so look, my heart goes out to these kids who are fatherless mm -hmm. because I, I felt that anger. I felt that sense of abandonment. I felt that rebellion. Nobody's going to tell me what to do. 
my father's not here to tell me, my mother's not, nobody's going to tell me. And that feeling that, well, there may be something wrong with me, but nobody better, nobody, people better stay away from me, not mess with me because I'm dangerous, I'm bad, I'll hurt you. I mean, that was the mindset that I was coming up with until my father came into my life. Yes. You know, I yes. can see that mindset on, on kids, I will call them kids, um, because I'm old. <laughs> but you can actually see that much of how, how they're dressing, the appearance that they put on is a thing to just make you stay away from them, stay away yeah. from me. I've been hurt enough. Yeah. You know, I listen to you, Bishop. I see your tears, and I'm like, all these decades later, that pain is so real. Mm -hmm. It still is. And the joy, and the joy of yeah. being rescued. Yeah, exactly. I mean, which is why, you, you know, I said that I got saved because of my father. Right. He got saved late in life. My father simply said to me, I'm reading the Bible from cover to cover. I was staying with him one summer, uh, working at a law firm after my first year at Harvard Law School. And, and he said, I'm reading the Bible from cover to cover. And I said, really? Well, on my way home, I thought, wow, my father's reading the Bible from cover to cover. I'm a Harvard Law School intellectual. I should do that. And little did I know, my, the Holy Spirit was using my dad, somebody who I would listen to, to get me to finally begin to seek God. Yeah. So I started reading the Bible out of intellectual interest, I thought, but the Holy Spirit got a hold of me, and by December of that year, I had surrendered my life to Jesus Christ. So once again, the influence of my dad is really more than any other reason why I'm saved right now. So, I mean, it's fatherhood, you simply can't understate its importance. You can't, and it's, um so many stories flood to my memory, Bishop, um, concerning my own dad, who as I was mentioning to you prior, he did not have a father in his life. Mm -hmm. So at 10 years old, he made a quality decision that he was gonna be what he didn't have, which still amazes me. Um, but I was in the seventh grade and they asked, my English teacher asked us to write a report on our heroes. And everybody wrote it was Superman, it was sports heroes, it was the president, whoever it happened to be. And I sat back and thought about all the different heroes, and I was no different than any other kid. But I ended up writing about my dad. And so uh, I'm trying to keep from having to grab the tissues myself in that because he was ever present. Mm -hmm. Now, my father worked a lot, so I didn't see a lot of my dad. So when I got older, and he's reflecting back as an adult, we would go out for lunch and say, you know, son, I could have spent more time around you. I could have this, I could have that. Because, you know, I wasn't there for your football games and the different milestones as a kid. I said, yeah, Dad, you weren't. But I said, but here's the deal. I always knew where you were. Mm -hmm. He said, what do you mean? I said, I knew because he used to drag me around with him on weekends. And during the summer, I was his gopher. My dad worked a full-time job. And then in evenings and on weekends, he worked his side jobs as a plumber and electrician. And I was his gopher. And I would sit in the truck when I was little because I really couldn't do anything, but I would grab wrenches, whatever he tell me to go get, which was always an ex excursion because I never knew what the tools were. Get me a pipe wrench, I'd bring him a crescent wrench, that kind of thing, but the process. And so I was telling him, I always knew where you were, that you were out 
doing everything you could to make it better for me and my sisters and my mom. And I said, and that spurred me on mm -hmm. because I knew other young men and young boys. And let me tell you something, this thing with dads, I know men in their 50s and 60s that still hurt. Yep. Because I get the phone calls. Mm -hmm. yep. Tell me a story about your dad, what your dad, let me talk to your dad about this. So I told him, man, call my dad, talk to him. Um, so I know that these things go for years. So I know, understand what Your Bishop was talking life, about. Your entire life, it never ends. It, it, it never ends, but the joy comes when there's reconciliation. The right. joy comes, and for fathers that are out there, maybe you're not connected with your son. Maybe there's reasons. I don't know what they are. There's still hope. Reach out to your son. Reach out to your child. Let him know that you love him. I don't care what the circumstances are. Or what his response is to you. Yeah, it, it, no matter what the response is, Because of they are hurting they're angry. Mm -hmm. Yes. They're, mm -hmm. They've never known how to process any of that. And it all just because the thing is, is if, if you're feeling like what is wrong with me, something's wrong with me, I'm broken or my dad would love me. I'm broken or my mom would love me. And after a while, if you keep doing that, you have to to survive. Mm -hmm. You turn it into anger. Yep. And that's how men process a lot of their emotions. Exactly. They turn it into anger and become aggressive. And I, I don't know whether this is the camera, but I'm so glad you did that. But the other thing that we need to say is there in the black community right now, 72% of children are born out of wedlock out without of wedlock. fathers. In Richmond, it's 80% in Richmond, Virginia. And in some cities, it's that high or higher. You can't blame this on quote unquote the white man, mm -mm. the government, the system. At some point, people have got to stop encouraging this kind of profligate behavior. And I know this, it's not academic for me, Amy and uh, Alani. I know situations where, you know, guys have got two, three, four, mm -hmm. five, six, seven children, mm -hmm. none of whom they're being fathers to. Right. And these kids are the next generation of likely gang members, gang bangers, thugs. We're perpetuating a pathology that is destroying the community. Yes. And, and it has portends terrible things for the country. And I would just encourage people, come back to that godly attitude that we need to have about taking responsibility for ourselves, our lives, our decisions, and stop looking for someone else to blame. Take a hard look in the mirror. As you know, that old song we used to sing, it's not my mother, not my father, but it's me, oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. Standing in the need of <laughs> Ask prayer. God to help you to do what you're supposed to do for yourself. Because it wasn't midnight basketball that saved me. Mm -hmm. It wasn't some government program that mm -hmm. saved me. It was a dad who said to my foster mother, if I don't take my son, we're going to lose him and we're not going to lose him. Not and here and so and here we are today as a result of fathers who took their responsibility seriously. Amen. Amen. If you take a look, we were discussing this prior. If you take a look at these multiple shootings, you see, you know, it's, it's not rocket science. Ninety some odd percent, if not nearly 100 percent of these young men who get up and do these horrible things. It's a lack of a, uh, yep. paternal influence on in the home. Yep. And they're hopeless. They yeah. feel hopeless. Yeah. 
And men are naturally aggressive. Yes. And if it's we're not, DNA. if that aggression is not channeled in some productive way, I, I watch my kids in church play, you know, these little games where everybody's responsible for getting something across the line. And whether mm -hmm. you stop the music, whoever's mm -hmm. got the most on their side loses. And I watch the girls and the boys and how they do it. And the girls are picking up stuff and doing that. And the guys, it's just it's it's great. It's it's how God designed us. If you don't take that aggression and train it and channel it and show young men how to behave properly and in a yes. civilized way and to use that aggression in a proper way, they'll use it in a destructive way. And it's mm -hmm. happening all over our country right now, which is why now you see the media talking about toxic masculinity yeah. mm -hmm. and and everything male is a horrible thing. And you know, we were talking last night about how God positioned the man in the house. Yeah. And you know, I'd never really stopped and really thought about that. This one thing, it's like you can be in a safe home, you can be in a safe neighborhood, uh, everything's just fine, but there's something missing until your dad walks through that door. My children taught me that, Amy, because so it never hit me mm -hmm. until they were adults and they said, Daddy, when you walked in, we felt safe. Mm -hmm. And you're right, they were living in Amen. a safe, low crime neighborhood, right. you know, perfectly getting along with our neighbors, everything fine. But mm -hmm. they said, when you walked in, we felt safe. And that's, that's God. Mm. I mean, I, you know, when I was a superman of some kind, <laughs> but, but that's a mantle of authority yes. that God has put on men. And when men abdicate that authority, that means children are gonna have a level of insecurity in their lives, doesn't right. it? Right, right, right. So what are we gonna do? What do we do? How are we going to be able, how can we help? How can we help? men out there who have their, who have children that they're not being fathers to outside of what we're, we're telling them. Your child wants you in their life. I don't care Amen. how hard it might be, the, the hurt and the anger that you're gonna have to absorb, whether or not it was your choice to be in, in out of their life. Because some fathers are out of their child's life because they, they got thrown out. And a lot of kids don't even know that yeah, because that's mom right. told them a story. So that's happened more than a couple of times where. Well, the byproduct of a toxic or the other side of the toxic masculinity false narrative is the uh, hyper feminism, mm -hmm. um, which creates that environment. Don't need a man. That's right. So you have yeah. a certain Which part is of why you have so yeah. many single mom homes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah men, I, are the, men are the problem. Yeah, men are the problem. So I don't need a man. I have daddy government um, well, to fulfill the financial needs. The, the problem with that is, is, I don't know about all the other women out there, but I was not made to be a man. And since yeah. I wasn't made to be a man, if I had a son mm -hmm. on my own, there is no way I children are imitators yes they're yes. imitators so they imitate what they see and unless you're a man and you have a son if he doesn't have a male to emulate 
yep. emulate. Yep. Thank you. That's the word. It's so not some abusive jerk mm-hmm. who's treating you like dirt, but a real godly man. Go to church. Get him in a church. Amen. Um, then the only thing they're going to have to emulate is the feminine. Mm-hmm. This causes a problem. Yeah. Or a thug or, but exactly. they'll, they'll pick something, pick something. something. to emulate. Yes. And well, that we have, we have an enemy. His name is Satan. Amen. And he will make sure that your kid picks one of those. You know, first of all, obviously prayer, because this is such a widespread problem. This is like a cancer that has metastasized mm-hmm. and, and it really needs God's intervention. So this needs to be a matter of prayer. We have a men's group in our church and we're constantly praying for men to be awakened by God mm-hmm. because it, that was God's natural order. Mm-hmm. I say, you know, Adam was the first man to abdicate. You know, Satan mm-hmm. started talking to his wife when, and I often, I often say when, when Satan says, well, has God really said, well, when you read the scripture, God never told Eve, he told Adam, don't mm-hmm. eat of the forbidden fruit. Right. And Adam's job was to then tell Eve. tell Eve. So he's already tried to undermine their relationship and suggest, well, he may have told you that, but did God really say that? It's because he's controlling. It, it, oh, he, he no, wants full no, control. No, that, no, that's, that's oh, oh, what yeah, he, that the man, Satan right, was telling right. her. Uh, he, right, right, he, he's just being right. controlling. Yeah. He's really eating it on the sly, right? So, so we, we need prayer for men to awaken right. to that mantle and that responsibility. Uh, but the other thing, frankly, I, I think is we need to focus on the next generation coming up. Mm-hmm before they're poisoned, before they're messed up. Mm-hmm. I said, we started something called the Maximum Potential Academy, and that's part of what we're doing, trying to work with these kids to give them a different vision of life, maybe even than the one they're seeing right. with their parents. Because in some cases, the life that they're seeing without a father in the home, a mother who's not stable, uh, unless they're given a different vision of what their lives can be, they're likely to replicate exactly the same thing. But, but the, the third thing, and I, I hope nobody misinterprets what I'm about to say, because I don't mean it to be a broadside. But the other thing is, we do need political leaders who understand these issues yes, we do. and are willing to speak to them because they get the visibility. They get the bully pulpits. They get the microphones. And so, I mean, one of my big disappointments about Barack Obama was that he didn't go into these inner cities and talk to these kids and say to them, you don't have to be a gang member. You know, you don't have to be out here hurting people. You know, there's a better way to live. I mean, with all the worshipfulness going on when he became president, I thought, boy, if this guy said, I'm gonna turn this into something that impacts these kids for a generation, and I'm gonna spend the next four years of my presidency going to every inner city I can get into Mm -hmm. and assembling these kids and Mm -hmm. talking to them and saying, there's something better for you than that. You don't have to be that. And he didn't do it at all. No. At all. And so I'm praying for, for God to raise up leaders who love these kids enough to want to go out and help rescue them, help make a difference in their lives, as opposed to just telling them there's a boogeyman out there and it's racism and he's out to get you. And aside from that, we have nothing to offer. Right. I mean, which is really what the message is. Mm-hmm. Tell me about this um, Maximum Potential Academy. Maximum what- Potential Academy. Yes, ma'am. It's it's uh, it's a six month program right now. Of course, my wife is, in fact, 
one of the reasons why she hasn't been traveling much with me is she's trying to turn it into a full-time school mm -hmm. because she was a teacher right. for 20 years wow. and, and she wants a school. She said, we've got to get these kids out of public, out of public school. schools. But it's a, it's a six-month curriculum that covers pretty much every issue you can think of. Family, yes. fatherhood. We did a whole exposition around Father's Day on fatherhood and relationships with fathers and what that means. Because not only are we trying to help them understand their relationship with their father, or maybe they don't have one, but giving them, the boys, for example, a vision for what fatherhood is supposed to be. Supposed to be, yes. Um, we talked to them about citizenship. Uh, we talked to them, obviously, about sex at the, in the appropriate way, at the appropriate level, about what marriage is. We talked to them about free market economy and what that means and the implications of that. So it's, it's a whole curriculum that is intended to give them a different vision of what life can be. I mean, just for example, I'm convinced that most kids in our country, let alone black kids, don't even understand free market economics. They don't. Right. Ha don't have a clue. And yet, it is the key to their success. That's right. You, 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 you have something of value, you develop that, you perfect that, and you put that out on the marketplace, and guess what? Somebody needs that. And that's how you earn a living hey, in a free country. that makes my life easier. I want, <laughs> right. I want four of those. <laughs> right. so, so that's what the Maximum Potential Academy is all about. My wife wants to turn it into a school that teaches all the basic disciplines and brings this curriculum in. Obviously, we talked to them about faith in God and how critical that is. That's woven into every lesson. Um, okay, but, yeah. I'm sorry to interrupt you, but since it's not a school, how is it working? It, it's, it's a program, and what we do is we bring children into the community center. We have a William Jackson Youth Center named after my father, uh, and we bring them into the youth center and we allow, allow them time to, to, for recreation. We mm -hmm. take them on field trips. Uh, and then we spend some of that time teaching them this curriculum, sort of in a classroom style, but obviously age appropriate. Mm -hmm. so, so for example, we've taken them to museums. Mm -hmm. We took them recently to the business of a friend of mine who gave them a tour of the business and told them, this is, this is how our business works. Wow. This is, these are the products we sell. This is how, how we do it. And, you know, the kids were asking questions. I mean, probably the first time any of them have had a chance to see a business and how it actually works. What an incredible thing you guys are doing. That yeah. is amazing. I'm excited about it. But you know, here again, I thank my dad because really what the vision for this is, right. what did my dad do for me? Mm -hmm. How can I package that somehow, mm -hmm. can't bring every child to live with me, but how can I package that somehow and become a force in these children's lives? And by the way, as busy as my schedule is, I'm participating. I'm actually teaching these kids and spending time with them. Mm. I'm not just, I didn't just write a curriculum and tell somebody to go do it. I'm there loving on these kids and talking to them. The, the first lesson, for example, is how to greet people, how to look someone in the eye and shake mm. hands, how to not only say, when somebody says, I say, how are you? I'm fine. How are you? Mm -hmm. So uh, you, you extend yeah. the, yeah, as opposed to, I. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so we're, we're, we're really, yes, we're, we're teaching them, you know, basic protocols of right. behavior, you know, how to come in and say hello to the adults and shake hands with them, how to treat one another. I mean, it's the things uh, that are yeah. critical for any kind yes. of success and basics that aren't taught, mm -hmm. aren't taught often, enough. aren't taught. Yeah. 
So how do we get this thing across the nation? Well, that's the plan. This is, this is and thank God we've got uh, a foundation. Um, I won't give out the particulars, but a foundation ha happens to be a Texas foundation that's right. helping us with it. Okay. And um, we're hoping to perfect it in our church and then replicate it, right. uh, to share the curriculum with other churches, maybe even be able to provide some other churches with some seed money to get it started. Of course, it needs to ultimately become independent and mm -hmm. run on its own. Mm -hmm. but, uh, but yeah, our hope is that once we get this perfected, and, and oh, by the way, I didn't mention this, we test them before uh -huh. we start, and then we're gonna test them at the end as well. Check In other progress. words, to see how attitudes have shifted because you'd be amazed at some of the things kids think right. mm -hmm. and ways that they think mm -hmm. that are, are not helpful, not, they're, they're destructive. Mm -hmm. And so we're addressing those issues so that at the end, we, can, we have a metric for determining, are we having an impact? And then we, we have um, a counselor who is going to follow them literally follow them. We're wow. talking to the schools. In other words, how, how are they doing in school? How's their behavior? Are they getting into any trouble? We want to really make this a lifetime thing so that our alumni come back to the Maximum Potential Academy and say, hey, I was here when I was 10. I was here when I was 11. I was here when I was 12. And you kids have got a wonderful opportunity and look at what happened to my life. Mm -hmm. so, so we want this to be a lifetime pursuit. Where can people go to learn more information about this? They can go to our website, standamerica.us, mm -hmm. sign up and request information on uh, the Maximum Potential Academy, and uh, we'll be happy to get it to them. And by yeah. the way, when they read uh, Project Awakening, and Project Awakening, this is a part of Project Awakening. Project Awakening is a, is a more comprehensive approach. This is a part of it based on the acronym CREATE, CR for Cultural Renewal, EA for Entrepreneurial Awakening, and T for Technical Education uh, as a way of trying to bring a kind of spiritual and economic revival into the inner city. All right. Man, I didn't know any of this. Mm -hmm. This is amazing, well, really amazing, you know. This is what um, men like you who know what it's like to not have a dad and then have a dad, or men like you who've had a great dad. I had a great dad. Amen. When the Lord tells him, you know what? He gives you a heart. It's like all of these very destructive things. I think about the, the Hitler youth. It's like yeah. all of the destructive things, they know you target the children. Mm -hmm. You target the children and you target the children mm -hmm. and you don't stop. And that is what the church has got to do. Target the children to make sure that they succeed. Amen. With the Lord and in their life. Don't go away. We'll be back right after this break with more of Bishop Jackson. <laughs> Yay. Welcome back to Light of the Southwest. I'm your host, Lonnie Poindexter, along with Miss Amy Cooper. And we have with us Bishop E.W. Jackson. Yes, we do. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. You know, the first segment was the perfect example of the power of a father. Mm. Because you have become an extremely accomplished man, a mighty man of God. 
And that turning point was on the street corner when you were 10 years old. And a mentor to many, including myself, mm -hmm. let me state. Well, and not only that, but the thing that we were talking about at the very end of that segment, mm -hmm. a whole program yes. created just to help these kids. Well, yeah, God used my father to inspire me. There's no question about that. And of course, once Jesus Christ came into my life, then, you know, I've, I'll always tell my church, God gives you a context for a reason. Mm -hmm. And that context usually holds the key to your ministry, mm -hmm. what he made you for, what right. you're designed to do. Right. And so I now see all those experiences that I had as an opportunity to pour into the lives of others and to try to be a blessing to others as my dad was to me. Mm -hmm. um, and it just opened up doors, obviously, uh, for me. I mean, imagine my father had a sixth grade education. He was a welder in Sunship Building and Dry Dock Company. Imagine what it meant for him to see me graduate from Harvard Law School, oh my the top law school in the country. Uh, and, and I don't think he understood how big a role he played in that, <laughs> but, but he played a major role in it. Actually, he, he did know. He did know because what he told your foster mom was like, I save him now or he's done. Yeah. He knew it was that critical a point in your life. I'm just overwhelmed with what can be done to help kids understand a couple of different things. And not just kids, adults too. Number one, just because your father isn't there isn't a bad reflection on you. It's something within them that, yeah. and, and people tend to do this lashing out thing. Even people who, are, who have been um, physically abused, verbally abused, mentally and emotionally abused by their own parents, and it's always your fault. And you see the, uh, these kids that die at the hands of their own parents mm. because it's the parents that are unstable. There's nothing wrong with the kid. The parent doesn't know how to do this. They only know how to lash out. Number one, they need Jesus. Amen. But the thing is, is that everybody, because of God, how God set up the order of things, you view your heavenly father the same way you view your earthly father. Yes. So if he's got a bunch of shortcomings, well, is. he's not going to be any better. Probably worse. A whole lot more guilty. In your case, how was that, though? Because he wasn't around really involved in your life for 10 years. And then suddenly he's telling you, I've always loved you. Mm -hmm. I just couldn't take care of you. Now I can. Amen. Uh, look, I discovered that my father wasn't perfect, too, but uh, he had so many admirable virtues. Um, and once he explained to me mm -hmm. why he had not been there, because mm -hmm. he felt as a single father, he just didn't have an ability to take care of a young child. 
and uh, and he felt that the molest was probably as good as he was going to do at that time, mm -hmm. but that he always wanted me. But I didn't find that out until, you know, he took me to live with him. But right. obviously he was keeping an eye on you. He was obviously keeping an eye on me. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. He was obviously keeping an eye on me. And like I said, I mean, there'd be times I wouldn't have seen him for a while and I run away and who shows up? He would show up, yeah. My father, uh -huh. because they felt like he'll run if we go, <laughs> but but if you show up, he probably won't. And right. they were right. I mean, right. when my father showed up, it was it was an entirely different matter. Right. Uh, but of course, then I end, always ended up right back in the foster home. Mm -hmm. But you know, the 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 point I do want to emphasize here, Amy, is because of course I had issues with my mother too, mm -hmm. because my mother was never there. Mm -hmm. um, is that one of the things God shows us is, A, no human being is perfect, mm -hmm. not, not our own fathers or mothers. Even if we want them to be. We'd love them to be. Uh, they're but, not. But B, that we've got to ultimately rely on the love of God, which is perfect. Exactly. exactly. And if you, if you don't, you're going to always be disappointed and with human beings. And always hurt. And hurt. Always angry. Exactly. Exactly. And, and that's partly what, look, when we're telling these kids, teaching these kids some of the things we're teaching them, we know from the responses and we know from the discussion that sometimes is had following mm -hmm. that they realize this does not reflect the way they're being raised. Right. Um, but we always teach them, respect your parents, honor your parents, but then we give them a, a vision of what life can be for them. So right. we're not trying to get them to be embittered or angry about their parents. In fact, we're trying to help them to understand that their parents are simply human beings with their own set of issues and, and shortcomings and, and all of that like we have. So, Which right. is probably why God made one of the big 10 honor your father and mother. Amen. But that's also the one that comes with that promise so that things will go well with you because God understands that yes. there is no perfect human being. There was only one. His name's Jesus. That's, right. That's exactly right. And he understands that how he set things up, you honor them despite the fact that they really don't deserve honor. Doesn't make any difference. You exactly. honor them and I'll take care of you because you're doing what I instructed you to do. I do some uh, mentoring of young men and um, one in particular I'm very proud of and um, just a tremendous young man in fact he just recently got married uh, thank God <laughs> I said you need to get married anyway um, estranged from his father had some major issues with his dad and I had a chance to meet his father and um, I was trying to convey to him the importance you got to honor your father well, you don't understand, Lonnie, because this, 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 this. I, said, I, I get all that, but you got to honor your mm -hmm. father. So um, he had launched, he does uh, gang intervention work um, in Northern California, exemplary work. And he was so successful at it that the individuals that helped negotiate the peace between uh, the IRA and, and, uh, and England in, in that part, you know, when the, all the terrorist things were going mm -hmm. on, got wind of the work he was doing in North Richmond, California, in the Bay Area, and sent for him and flew him to uh, Ireland. Oh, and wow. he lived in Europe for a month traveling with them so he could share what he was doing. And, um, 
but he had issues with his dad. So he had an event. He was reaching out to the youth there in the community there in Northern California. And I had these big posters made up to promote the event for him, for the young man. And so I sh showed up with one, and I had it put it up, and he was so excited. Thank you so much. And so his dad showed up. So his dad's in the, um, is there amongst there, and I'm watching the interaction between him and his father. He didn't have much to say to his dad. His dad would reach over. So I started talking to his father, and the thing that I noticed is his father stared at that poster of his son. I mean, Bishop, he looked at it from the top to the bottom, left to the right, up and down. You'd say a couple words to him, but he would direct back to it. And then it hit me, he was seeing himself yep. because he looks a lot like his son, or his son looks a lot like him, superimposed on this big poster. And so I said, I said, not Paul Marshall, I said, you're pretty proud of your boy, aren't you? He said, you have no idea. Mm -hmm. And he turned around and he looked at me in a big tear in his eyes, and I said, man, um, I said, you know, um, your son loves you. He said, man, I hope he knows that. I hope he, I said, he loves you. So he and I chatted, and then he went on about his business. Oh, and I told him this. I said, you know, I have an extra one. He said, you do? I said, yeah, because they made two. I had one I was going to keep. You want it? Oh, no. I said, no, no, I'll get it for it. So I get it, and I gave it to him. He rolled it up, put it in the car. So I went over and I told his son, I said, did you see your dad over there? He said, oh, I wasn't paying attention. I said, man, your father stared at that poster of you for a good 15 minutes solid and kept coming back and looking mm -hmm. at it. Mm -hmm. I said, does that tell you something? Well, I don't know. You're going to tell me what it's telling me. I said, yeah, I'm going to tell you. <laughs> what is it supposed to I tell me? I said, your father loves you. Mm -hmm. But he loved you to the ability that he could based right. on where he came Amen. from. Exactly. I said, when you come to terms and understand that and you honor your father, Things will go well with you. Mm -hmm. There's things you're trying to accomplish, and you got some bumpy roads. You got to do well with your dad. I said, and you put your father to work because his father was on uh, disability. I said, give him something to do that gives him some integrity, some about himself. Yep. And so he got his father involved with his ministry. Anyway, all that to say today, they get along great. Amen. Lord. That's the key. You know, it's like Mark T. Little's story, and yes, and his his father being this. Very famous football player. Football player, yeah. And um, Mark didn't have a relationship with him. He knew who he was. But he knew who he was. Uh -huh. And there was finally a point where his he's sitting with his, his father, and he knows that his father is about to tell him, I'm sorry, blah, blah, blah. and he just was like, Dad, let's just start from here. Yeah, we don't have to worry about okay. anything back there. Mm -hmm. In that forgiveness. Amen. We have to, in our closest relationships, be the most compassionate, mm -hmm. the most understanding, and the most forgiving. And with an understanding that there are things about your parents that you are never going to know mm -hmm. because they're never going to tell you. And never understand if you did know. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the thing that is usually uh, something that just really eats people's lunch, their own personal lunch, and you can see that there's something going on with them. 
but you can't quite put a finger on it. It's because something has happened. And they can't talk about it. Mm -hmm. They can't talk about it because they've been maybe humiliated by it, maybe whatever. And, but that is one of the reasons why you got to talk about it. As a pastor, address yes. that. Oh, my goodness. Well, you know, let me just state this. Mark and his dad are best friends. Oh, yeah. Amen. Yeah, they amen. are best friends. Look, you, Amy, you, right. They don't want to talk about it, but they need to talk about it. Mm -hmm. Now, ideally, they need to talk about it with that parent who they feel has hurt them or wounded them. But if they can't do that, maybe because they passed on already mm -hmm. uh, or maybe because of, for other reasons it's not possible, maybe the person's sick, but they need to share with somebody that hurt and that pain mm -hmm. and get some ministry. And obviously mm -hmm. as a pastor, I mean, part of what you do when people come to trust you is they share things with you that they almost wouldn't tell anybody else because when you hear it, I mean, and I've been pastoring now for close to 40 years and I've heard all kinds of stuff and I can still hear things that just make me go, what? Because how could another human being inflict that kind of pain mm -hmm. on somebody? I mean, do they have any idea what this means to this person? Mm -hmm. But that sharing it with an empathetic ear and somebody who loves them and cares about them and doesn't want to use them or abuse them mm -hmm. is the beginning of that healing process. Healing. Um, and we've been talking about fathers, but but that's what happened with me with my mother. Mm -hmm. I mean, because my mother never showed up like my father did, okay? And I am 67 now. When I was in, started, when I hit my 40s, out of the blue, and I'm serious, really, out of the blue, the mere mention of my mother's name mm -hmm. would bring tears to my eyes. Mm -hmm. It got to a point where my wife would bring up my mother and I have to walk away. Right. And of course, I'm thinking to myself, what, what's going on? Where's this <laughs> because this, yeah, I, yeah, I've never experienced this before. What is happening is a lot of buried pain mm -hmm. is now coming to the surface. Right. And finally, the way I ultimately dealt with that, and I prayed about it, and the Lord told me, go see her. Mm -hmm. And I did. She was living far away from me, but I made it a point on a business trip to divert and go see her. We talked all night long. And she gave me her perspective. Mm -hmm. She and my father had married very young. She was immature. Um, and then, you know, she got caught up in, in Jehovah's Witnesses and all of that and, and how she was raised. And, and look, nothing justifies people not doing right, right? I mean, it doesn't right. justify it. But, but having it explained, mm -hmm. at least you then understand it. Because here again, you know what I think was part of it? Resolving that issue that it wasn't about me. Right. It was about stuff that was going on in that person's life. So, and that's what people need to know. Like you said this earlier, it may have been in the prior program. It's not about you. Mm -hmm. your, your parents didn't hurt you because there's something wrong with you. Right. They Even did it if because they told something. you it was. Right. Even if they something. told you that, mm -hmm. it's something wrong with them. Right. Mm -hmm. and, and you just have to pray through it and, and know that you're, you're who God made you to be not who somebody told you you were, mm -hmm. who, because maybe it made them feel better to put you down or feel better to, to minimize you. Some people can only feel good about themselves 
by making other people feel bad. You know, one of the things, though, that's really hitting me, we've got, in the first hour, we talk so much. <sighs> How do I put this? What the church can do. What the church can do. And on one subject, we even talked about congregations. If your pastor isn't confronting this issue, then, you know, if you miss that, you have to catch the first hour later. <laughs> but one of the things that's really hitting me is I know that a lot of pastors become pastors because of some horrible, horrible wound in their life. And so God is their only answer. But also when, when you become someone who is a pastor, someone who's in front of the public, all of a sudden, you can't talk about those things because it would change everybody's mind about you. People, people will believe what you've been believing well, about other, yourself. So the pastors, maybe. That's who I'm talking about, the pastors. There are so many pastors who have dealt with stuff. Oh, yeah. And the thing is, if, if that thing is still dealing with them, no matter how good of a pastor they are, until they're set free from that, they'll never be the excellent pastor that God called them to be. It's a ticking time bomb is what it is. Uh, because, I mean, one of the, the biggest problems, and I had no idea the conversation was going this way, but I'm loving it. Mm. One of the biggest problems I've had in, in my experience as a pastor is with people who were hurt by another authority figure. Mm. Either their parents, in some cases maybe another pastor, because they're carrying that hurt around right. and they're seeing me and everybody around them through the lens of that hurt. Mm -hmm. And you know that old saying, hurting people hurt, hurt people. people. And, and those are the folks that will, and you're trying to figure out, well, wait a minute, why is this person behaving this way? And it's because they've got unresolved pain in their right. own lives. Right. And what they really need is healing. Mm -hmm. And often what we all, all we see is the anger right. and, and, the, and the destructiveness that they sometimes bring. And it really takes a lot of sensitivity and discernment to get through all of that and to deal with what's really under the surface of it. Because here again, the pastor be believes, and I know I've been there, why are they out to get me? <laughs> you know? Why are they trying to hurt me? But actually, that's not what it really is. Exactly. What they're, they're really acting out of that pain that they've gotten. You just happen to be the convenient target. Uh -huh. You know, actually, I think there's, there's two different um, things that I've seen that people who have suffered from something kind of traumatic mm -hmm. that on a dime, uh, that anger will come out. Mm -hmm. Or they're just so totally withdrawn, hmm. you know, very reserved in certain situations. They might be one way here, but in a, a more, what would you call it, a more intimate setting where you're talking, then they're going to draw back because they don't want to be part of that conversation. It hurts. I'll listen to you, yeah. but I ain't talking. Mm-hmm because then you're gonna know what a loser I am. Everybody's been through something. Amen. 
Uh, you know, I tell my congregation all the time, you don't have to be a prophet to know this. Everybody's got problems. Yes. I don't have to, I don't have to, you know, have a, have a mantle of the prophet on me because you don't get through this life without them. Without catching it. Tribulation every, comes. Exactly. <laughs> Everybody's struggling with something. I said it may be your, your problem may be smaller than somebody else's or in a given season, yours may be bigger than somebody else's. But we've all got challenges that we face in life. And, and I think part of a pastor's role is to let the love of God flow through us to try to be a blessing to people. Uh, and, and look, sometimes that can be very, very hard because really? as you said, because people, <laughs> it's those people, they want to, you know, some people want to hold on to that anger. They want to hold on to that pain and they don't want to go through the, the, the difficulty of letting it go, you know, because it's not only cathartic, it can be it can feel embarrassing. Yes. Scary. You know? yeah. Scary. Good, good they work. Actually, Scary. They've lived with it so long. It's familiar, yeah. It's familiar. Mm -hmm. So it's a familiar spirit. Mm -hmm. They've lived with it so long, they don't know that it can be removed. Amen. Isn't that something? Mm -hmm. Amen. You know, I've been ministering uh, lately. Uh, uh, the series I've been preaching is Faith, the Key Factor. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, just recently I talked about the fact that, you know, the church has forgotten its supernatural mantle. It has. That we don't, un we, 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 and particularly here in America, mm -hmm. where we've got hospitals and doctors and psychiatrists and psychologists and therapists and, and TV and, you know, I mean, we have, we're, we have uh, an embarrassment of riches here and, and we tend to, turn to God last. Mm -hmm. And I mean, look, I can be as guilty of it as anybody. And I said, you know, we've got to understand that we're a supernatural people. Jesus, what did Jesus say? Heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out devils, freely you receive, freely give. He didn't say, you know, turn on the television and listen to this therapist and, and they'll solve all your problems. Not that there's anything wrong with some of that, mind you, but there is delivering power in the name of Jesus. And there is healing power in the Holy Spirit. And often we, that's kind of like the last desperate resort when it really should be our first avenue of, of deliverance, you know, to, to ask God to just move in our hearts and heal us and help us. And I mean, forgiveness, you talked about forgiveness. I think this is one of the most difficult things that Christians deal with. Mm -hmm. Is forgiving. You know, I've often said, not to take it back to politics, I, I almost didn't like anything about anything President Obama did. Right. But I didn't hate him. Right. And, and I forgave him. Yes. Because I know God doesn't want me walking around with a bitter heart against this man for things that he's done that I believe are wrong. Yeah, but you know what? They're so good at covering up stuff anyway that it's like we have no idea what he's been through. Really? Yeah, well, you think about some of his positions and policies, it's based upon brokenness in his own life. It's just, just be real about mm -hmm. it. And that's what I had to keep in mind when I, because I, I was at the same place. I, you really grow to dislike this individual. No, I'm just, and people accuse me of that. Oh, you just, hate, I don't hate him. Yeah, Nobody's hate ever that. heard me say anything negative about his person. Right. It's Maybe his policies God, that I would comment on. God tells us to, to pray for our leaders. 
That's right. Again, honor your parents. Pray yeah. for your leaders. I know what's going on. I yeah. know what happened to them. Pray for them so I can move and do something. Yeah, because let's be honest. But we'd rather just gripe. He, he had daddy issues. Think about that. Oh, no question. Mm -hmm. And you know, I say the Bible teaches us to hate every false way, uh -huh. but to not hate people ever. Right. At all. So I can, I can be in vehement disagreement with something that I know is wrong right. and still love you yep. as a person. And that's, but, but here again, I think a lot of Christians, when they're hurt, they hold on to that pain rather than letting it go. And I say forgiveness is something you can do sovereignly. You can't reconcile sovereignly. It takes two people to reconcile. But you can forgive, mm -hmm. even if the person says, take your forgiveness and throw it out the window. I don't care. I still forgive you. Right. Mm -hmm. I, can, I can do that on my own without anybody's cooperation. Mm -hmm. And Christians have got to learn to do that because I think a lot of our problems internally, physically, come from harboring this bitterness and this anger and hatred that can develop for people. I've heard it said that cancer is actually tied to unforgiveness. I believe it I is. That too. But mm -hmm. here's the thing. Jesus himself said, uh, you either forgive or you're not going to be forgiven. Choice is yours. There is that. And, and, that, and, and to, if you're like a Christian, that. that ought to scare the daylights out of you. Right. <laughs> you <know? laughs> because we know that as Christians, we're not perfect either. And we need forgiveness. And to think that I'm in a position where God won't forgive me, right. Lord, who do I need to forgive? Show me who they Show are. Show me who. You got it. <laughs> you, know? you know, I think maybe part of our problem also is that we really don't do a very good job of teaching who God is. Mm. So holy. So holy means set apart. Yes. He's set apart because he is without sin. He can't be in the presence of sin. That's right. That's why he doesn't want us sinning. That's why he gave us the Bible. He wants us with him. So don't do these things. I want you with me. Amen. We don't know who he is. We don't teach you he is, how much he loves us, everything he'll do for us. I mean, if you could have a super perfect dad, there he is. He's it. He, he is the super perfect right. <laughs> He is the super perfect dad, no question about it. We said a little earlier that when you have a bad father, mm -hmm it can get in the way of relating to God yeah. because you begin to see him yeah. the way. In fact, I even heard a guy say one time, yeah, I hear God's supposed to be your heavenly father. Yeah, I had a father. I don't need another one. Yep. Exactly. It's like, you know. I've heard exactly. individuals say that and, and it, would, it, it would burden me and burden my heart in that um, because I was blessed with a good dad, it gave me a good perspective of understanding who our Heavenly Father was, especially in light of what Scripture says about if you had a good father, how much better is he who, who, who made you? Um, and then to meet, and, if, and then I had to back up and say, okay, so I get it now, because you're trying to share the gospel, you're trying to share the good news, you're trying to share who this person, who this creator of all is, and folks just, for what you're saying, I don't need, uh-uh. And it's because their perspective is based on yep. what it's relative to them. If they didn't have a father in their life or if they had an abusive father in their life, it's, you know, it, it takes more prayer, I think, mm -hmm. uh, to lift them up, to get them to finally get a chance to understand that. Which is another reason that as the church, 
we have got to do something to combat this epidemic of fathers not being involved in their children's lives mm-hmm. and this epidemic of men not being necessary at all. And, and how to get government up out of the way. Exactly. Because I, I know many men that, that, that struggle with this is um, you want to be involved in the children's life and they're dealing with government who's been, a, uh, anybody's lived in California. And it, if they say no, then you're uh, not involved. You, it's, just trust me. Wow. Been there, done that, have the t-shirt. Yeah. Well, you know, it goes back to elected officials again and we put in office yes. and the laws. And so Which forth. is why the church has to be involved with who gets elected from the school boards right. up. Um, or as David Barton puts it, from the dog catcher up. Can I, let me bring two things together that, that struck me as we've been talking. Because earlier we talked about this epidemic of homosexuality mm-hmm. um, in an earlier program. And we, now we're talking about fatherhood. Mm-hmm. And I really believe that these two are related. Bingo. Uh, that, that the homosexuality, the transgenderism, the, the, the non-binary stuff where I'm neither male nor female is really a a, a cry for fatherhood in the hearts of folks who are rebelling against the gender that God gave them. But it's also a a rebellion against God saying, I'm going to be who I want to be, not who you made me to be. be. And I think a a lot of this goes... Because you screwed up God in making me. Mm -hmm. But God doesn't make junk. One point. And to, to some somehow the restoration of fatherhood can help deal with this issue too. I agree. Because when people say, well, well, I was born this way. No, you weren't. Right. God didn't create you that way. But I don't care what the word says. I don't care what the Bible says about what a man's supposed to be, what a woman's supposed to be. Mm -hmm. Uh, This is who I am. So in a sense, it's a rebellion against who God made you to be. It's the ultimate rebellion against the father, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Yes, it is. I mean, Mm -hmm. you know, yeah, Mm -hmm. that's the way my father is. That's not the way I am. Mm -hmm. And that's not the way I'm going to be. And so this whole issue of fatherhood even goes to those kinds of cultural pathologies that we're facing now in our culture that you, you, you mentioned it earlier, that has some parent telling a child no, 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 you're not a boy, you're a girl. And we're going to put clothes and lipstick, uh, and dresses and lipstick. we're going to parade you around in a bar. And parade you around in a bar. While, while the father sits. You know, I don't know if you saw those interviews with the individual we're talking about when he sashayed, the, this, this boy sashayed across the runway on Good Morning America. His mother and his father were sitting there. His mother did all the talking. I watched the father, I watched his body language. I said, he is just completely completely abdicated his position in the relationship and that yet his male child is suffering you know while michael strayhorn applauds and the, i i lost so much respect for him after i saw that I, I wanted to jump through the tv screen so how do we how do we teach men how how to be the men that god created them to be because it's not that man who's sitting there keeping silent while his son's life is yeah. destroyed in front of him. Well, see, that's what I mean about intervention at a young age. Mm-hmm. Because, I mean, wow, talk about the power of God. Because you've got to overcome, overcome 
the authority in the person's life that is affirming the wrong the thing. Wrong thing. Yeah. To help that person get delivered, yeah. and that—that's a tall order that really only God can fill. Yeah. And the best we can do is hope to be used by Him. I give you a perfect example. Um, a young man came to me several years ago, and his mother encouraged him to come. He told me, he said, "I, I have, you know, these homosexual desires," mm -hmm. and I said, "Okay, do you know when it started?" He said, "Yeah, I do," and I said. No father in the home, mm -hmm. okay? And I said, when? Or his father, not in his life. Right. I said, when? And he said, when I was 10 years old, mm -hmm. an older boy, mm -hmm. when we played house, mm -hmm. made me his wife and introduced me mm -hmm. to inappropriate things. Right. And ever since then, so here again, this has nothing to do with being born that way. Mm -mm. This has to do with being introduced or seduced into this mm -hmm. by somebody who took advantage of you because your father was not there to protect you. Right. And because you had no one to give you an image of what a man, man is supposed, supposed to, be. to be. So somebody was able to take advantage. I mean, so here's a perfect example. Somebody needs to be intervening saying, whoa, wait a minute. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Let me explain to you what manhood is. I remember telling my children, if anybody touches you inappropriately, if anybody makes you feel uncomfortable, you, let me know that right away. I mean, because I, knowing what was going on in the culture, right. I mean, I, I was on that like an eagle, right. <laughs> you know, right. because I, I understand how quickly these things can go awry. And I wanted to make, sh make sure that I was protecting my children. Well, what if you don't have a father in the home to protect you? Yes. What if your mother's on drugs and selling you to support her little habit? Yeah. And I've noticed that there seems to be two ages, at least with boys, that, that I've noticed. I've talked to other individuals around 10 years of age and right around two to three years of mm -hmm. age. The father's out of the home by the time the child's about two to three years of age, and then these types of things take place right at that because mm -hmm. puberty's kicking in and that kind mm -hmm. of thing. Yeah. And, um, yeah. yeah. And, you know, and I, this may seem out of left field, but, but it's worth saying because we know this is the devil. You know, I find it interesting that this sort of Marxist socialist mindset encourages this stuff. Yeah. How they kind of. Because, you know, you think, what does that have to do with this? Mm -hmm. But it has to do with undermining the institutions that God has created and the mm -hmm. roles that God has created in order to remake a society. Yes. Uh, so you, every, oh, oh no, 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 no that, that's, that's, just, that's just old time stuff. You know, don't, don't, don't let anybody try to put you in that box. Mm -hmm. You know, you can be whatever you want to be. Right. And before you know it, the family's completely disintegrated. Mm -hmm. Manhood, womanhood means absolutely nothing. So who do we turn for authority? The state. state. I mean, which is here again, really weird to me because I would see Marxism focusing on economic matters, mm -hmm. but actually there's a very strong nexus yes. between this, this sort of sexual perversion mm -hmm. and this sort of Marxist, well, atheistic mm -hmm. worldview. Yeah. Right? So that's partly what we've got to battle against too. Judeo-Christian values and principles not Marxism, socialism, communism. Agreed. And as you're seeing, um, so much perversion in adults. You know, 
uh, we've had a few conversations, Lonnie and I, about, um, and then one with you last night about this, about even churches, churches letting homosexuals in there to perform because it puts, excuse me, butts in the seat so they can make money. And these guys who are coming in are molesting the kids. Yep. Yeah. And leadership is turning their head. It's like, oh, okay, I guess that's all right. And it's been going on for decades. I'm like, yeah. what? You know, my father, uh, for my, he wasn't a church goer, but there was a church nearby mm-hmm. And I would attend that church because my foster parents did take me to church. And my father found out that they had hired a man Mm -hmm. who he knew to be a homosexual Mm -hmm. and he forbade me from going any further. Now here again, that that's fatherhood. See, no, you're not going over there, (laughs) you know, because I don't want you in or around that. Mm -hmm. And, and here again, that, that protection is so Mm -hmm. critically needed. Because you're right, there are predators out there. They've been out there for a long, long time. And they're in the church. And they're in the church. They're right. in, in fact, they're being brought into the church, the church. in some cases because they're talented yes. or they're gifted and, and this, mm-hmm. this, the, their, their sexuality is being completely ignored and they're turning the church into a hunting ground yes. for predators. That's right. The, uh, you know, my younger sisters, we were teenagers and um, I won't name the church or the ministry, but uh, and there was a musical. And so my sisters and their girlfriends, they're all around the same age, I'm thinking 15, 16 years of age. And they go, my mother takes them to this musical at this church and I didn't go. And so they came back and you guys have a good time. And so my sisters and their friends walk, girlfriends walk in. Oh, such a waste, such a waste. And I'm trying to, what are they talking about, such a waste? There were all these choirs and so forth that were there. And if I'd name names, you would know who I'm talking about, Bishop. And their comments were such a waste because there was these, all these male choirs that were there and all these handsome young men, yeah. but they were that way. So their response at 15 and 16. recruited. Yeah, so it was See, such a waste. See, that just doesn't happen. And that's what people have to right. realize. It doesn't happen. Something happened to that kid. Mm-hmm. Of course. Mm-hmm. Now, how did this musical take place? At this church, with all these young men who were that way at this church, and somebody in the eldership not know uh-huh. and not considered a problem, they knew. that 15 and 16-year-old girls could see immediately mm-hmm. and, be, and have some, you know, because they were thinking of finding potential dates. So I'll not only it. is the... Uh, I mentioned to you last night that we have a program with Janet Boynes who came out mm. of homosexuality right. after, I think it was 13 years. You know Janet, right? Oh, yeah. I know and, Janet. you know, Absolutely. you look at the pictures of her during that, it is, you would never recognize her. Before and afters, yeah. It's just crazy. Yeah. And one of her frustrations has been churches not allowing her to come in and mm. teach them how to deal with this issue so people can find deliverance and freedom. Mm. And it's like, okay, so the churches don't want to do that, but it's okay to invite predators in. Into your church. 
What? Wolves into them. And then you wonder why they're teaching this stuff in school? Because the church isn't doing their yep. job. Mm -hmm. Letting foxes into the hen house. And I, Amy, I want to commend you and, and, and the network because you all realize, I'm sure, this discussion we're having, mm -hmm. in many places, it would, not, it would not be permitted. Exactly. It would not be allowed. And yet, it is a critical discussion. You know, think about this. 6,000 years of written human history, mm -hmm. males are males, females are females, marriage is a union between a man and a woman, and suddenly in the last 20 years, everybody says, oh, that's wrong. Yeah. And anybody who doesn't agree that all that was wrong, there's they something wrong. wrong with you. Something you're a bigot, you. you're a hater, you're a homophobe, you're this, you're that, and trying to marginalize and, and frankly destroy people who won't go along exactly. and, and, and even not give you a platform for having a rational discussion about it. Uh, you know, I've said before, if everybody adapted or adopted that approach to life, the species would would go out. Of, you know, we would end. We, we would have ended a long time ago. Yeah. <laughs> right. Exactly. Right. It's not what God designed. No. But, you know, in many places you can't say it. So thank you for an opportunity to say it. Well, thank you for coming and having the discussion with us, you know, because it has to be your stand and your belief or you wouldn't be talking to us Amen. about it, right? That's right. Well, it definitely is. So our heart, mm -hmm. the heart of GLC, is your heart. Amen. We have to get the Christians to understand this is what's going on and we got to stand up and we got to stop it. And it may cost us our lives. But yeah, the stakes what? are that high. The stakes mm -hmm. are that high. Yeah, they it are. It doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter. Ask, ask the apostles. Did it matter? That's right. They, That's right. They all died some pretty gruesome deaths. Jesus died a pretty gruesome death. Amen. But there are those who will hear truth, who will start questioning. There's even people that are watching this program right now that this is the first time watching this show that they've ever heard anybody say, that wasn't about you, that was about your dad. Mm. Yeah. God yeah. loves you. God loves your dad. It's the first time people have heard people share really what's going on in the churches, what uh -huh. the churches are allowing in. You know, um, I was raised in the church and when I came to the Lord, it was the last place I wanted to be. I did not want to set foot in the church because I had seen it had become all business. But I grew up seeing the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. I grew up seeing miracles people delivered from demons. I saw it. I know it's Amen. real, but I was it's so real. rebellious my own self that I actually literally had to hear his voice. And I'm like, my life changed on a dime, but there's so much, um, what is it? Conforming to his image that needed to happen that it's been a long process. You don't just go from darkness to light in yourself. 
there's a lot of nonsense that he's got to get out of every one of us. Amen. I want people to know that God loves us. I want people to know he died for us, but he's worth dying for. Uh-huh. What he can give to you now, the peace that he can give to you now, the strength that he can give to you now, how he can make life worth living when it looks like there's nothing to live for. Because you know what? He's God. He Amen. can do that. He's done Amen. it for me. I know he's done it for you. Oh, yes. And I know I, he's done it for Lonnie. I gave my life to Jesus Christ on December 22nd of 1976. I tell my church all the time, mm -hmm. if what I had was better than what I've got, mm -hmm. I would go back to what I had, <laughs> but it, it's not this. Listen, the scripture says he's sweeter than the honey mm -hmm. in the honeycomb. Uh -huh. <laughs> and if you taste and see that the Lord is good and I've tasted and seen, you know, I hear these stories. We had heard one recently just this past week about people who claim to be Christians and mm -hmm. then renounce their Christianity. Yes. Just a, a fairly well-known minister just yes. did that here recently. I say, there's no way I'm going anywhere because I don't understand if you've actually met Jesus Christ. I mean, you actually know him. There's no way to go back. There's no way to go back. That's where, true. You know, Peter said, where should we go? However, <laughs> however, I believe the same thing until I, it hit me about blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. Oh, it's the Holy Spirit. He's the one who, when he comes into you, you know, you know, you know. And yeah. if you renounce him, so see, we never know. Does somebody actually Do they, exactly. really know? That's what I was exactly. going to say. Because I yeah. can't imagine turning away. I can't away. imagine. Yeah. <laughs> I, I can't imagine. You, you, you find in life that... that um, most people are just going through whatever they're going through based on what they came from. But there are some people that are evil, you know? And so um, the light, I call the lights run, but somebody else's home. But I find that anyone that The one where you look at them and you see their face transmogrify? Yeah, that one? yeah, yeah. And, I, and I've been around some folk, like, so I know yeah. that's real. Yeah. Um, but a, for most folk, they, they I don't think they really knew the Lord to begin with, yeah. because once you taste and get a taste of what you just described, Bishop, it's, you'd have to be an utter fool. I, I can't see anybody. I I'm, lived so I, a very worldly life. Well, many of us did. The point is, this is a whole lot more fun than oh, that really yes, worldly goodness, life. Yes. A whole lot more exciting. <laughs> Yes. There is no comparison. There, no, there, there, there isn't. There, there isn't. And, and, no and there's, raft. And, 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 yeah. and for the men out there, um, Christianity is not a wimpy right. belief system. Right. You will find out the kind of man that you think you are <laughs> once you become a Christian. And you might be surprised that you got some growing to do um, because it's the depiction of it being something else. I call it, we were talking about the other day, yeah. she zigzag Jesus. She, oh, she, laid back and, yeah. Laid back Birkenstocks with the flowers in the hair. Peace be with you, brother. <laughs> Very feminine, you know, that kind of thing. 
The Jesus I came to know when I yeah. truly came to understand the Lord and committed myself to him, all man, Amen. all the time. I understood how he could get a bunch of fishermen to follow him. If you've been around commercial fishermen, they're a burly bunch. Mm -hmm. And um, you understand that when he went into the the temple and he was so angry that they had turned his house into yes, a marketplace. Yes, righteous he indignation. He wasn't some wimpy little guy no. with the whip right. on. No, that's Get right. Get out. He was a carpenter's son. Get out. I've been around carpenters. And that's they didn't right. have chainsaws during that no, time. No, thank you. <laughs> they all had the Popeye that's arms, right, Bishop? Because right. right. there was no chainsaws. There was no jigsaws. There was this. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Either that or an axe. That's right. Mm -hmm. And that's so right. when you discover that, then you, yes, it's hard for me to believe anybody can walk away. I, I don't think they were truly walking to begin uh, with. I, yeah. They were social Christians. I think it's another important point for people to understand that men and women are very different creatures. Mm -hmm. Amen. On purpose. God did that yes. on purpose for the benefit of mankind. Praise in a, God. In a thousand different ways. <laughs> right. And it's like what has happened, though, people have to realize that there is a, a, a part in the female that has... A, a more natural affinity to God simply because we were created for the man mm -hmm. to take the initiative, to be the protector, and we don't have that much of a problem with it, which is why this mm -hmm. femininity thing gone amok is... Hyperfeminism. You know, yeah. Mm -hmm. it's. It's a dangerous thing, and it's very destructive. Extremely. Extremely destructive. And we have to talk about that as well. Mm. So, yeah. that, so that women understand, you know what? It's okay to be a girl. Mm -hmm. And so that men understand it's okay to follow. Yes. See, I think Satan always counterfeits or perverts. Right. Yeah, he didn't create. He doesn't create. He counterfeits or perverts. So this leadership impulse that right. God put in man, in man is there. But when it gets perverted, right. then it can become abusive. And nobody's going to tell me what to do. I'm, if I'm not in charge, I'm not interested. And men don't understand. You, you don't become authentically a man until you learn to follow God. That's mm -hmm. true. That's true. You don't become the full man that you're supposed to be until you learn to follow God. That you, you yes, you were made for a leader. There is a hierarchy. Amen. Yes. And, and that leader is God. And I often tell my people who, who are working with me, I say, you know, my, and my pastor used to tell me this, you can't lead where you won't go. You mm. can't teach what you don't know. And you can't reap what you won't sow. So in other words, if you don't want to follow anybody, mm. why would anybody follow you? Follow you. Yeah. So you've got to learn to follow in order to learn to be a leader and a lot of men are caught up thinking, I don't, I'm not following anybody. I'm, I'm my own leader. I'm my own boss. Mm -hmm. But uh, guess what? I, I, either your boss is God or your boss is the devil. <laughs> you know, no, your I, leader I, is God or your leader is the devil. I, you I you see got that. a leader. I see that with, 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 with some pastors caught up in that. And then I watch their congregations. Mm -hmm. and, um, and, and a couple I'm thinking, I won't mention names. And... Uh, uh, I would hear that same kind of thing, you know, I'm a take charge kind of guy, this kind of thing. And so, so what you're telling me is that you won't serve and you won't submit to an authority because everybody got authority over them. Yep. And then I look at your congregation and 98.9% .9 of your congregation is female. Mm -hmm. So no man will submit to, submit to you. 
and um, and they well, can't get. We've that. turned submit into a bad word. Exactly. Exactly. When scripture clearly teaches differently, mm-hmm. because I'm pretty sure we're told that he who would be first is going to be last, and yeah. vice versa, and the greatest in the kingdom is the one who serves the, the most. Serve. Yes, that's like, it. Yes. Dear Lord, help yeah. me learn to serve yeah. in love, serving. Jesus was king of all, but right? he served. Amen. That's right. <laughs> he served That's all. right. All of us yeah. should be, that should be our heart cry to God. Mm-hmm. Lord, help me learn to serve with yeah. joy, mm-hmm. unspeakable and full of glory. Mm-hmm. And you know, this brings us full circle, doesn't it? Because it does. how can we expect Christians to take a stand outside the church when they really won't take a stand inside the no, church. I want to get up and shout on that one. You can't. You go <laughs> That's it. That's uh, it. You, you, I mean, they're, they're laid back. They're not doing anything. They're not participating. They're not helping. They're not. And then, but we want them to be, go out there and be courageous spokespersons yeah. for Jesus. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it, uh, a pastor by, and I don't know whether he coined it, but he said, you know, we need to do some in-reach before we can do, do some, some outreach, outreach. <laughs> you know, reach the people in the church and help them mature and grow. And let's face it, become real disciples yeah. of Jesus Christ. Bingo. I am so tired of this. Okay, let's just get everybody to receive Jesus. That's the problem yeah. with the church in America. Mm. That is not what it's about. That is not what Jesus says. Go and make disciples. Right. The That's word Christians mentioned three times in the whole New Testament, and the word disciples mentioned, I think, 271 times. Wow. Disciple, disciple, disciple. disciple. Mm. Yeah. Now, I'm not knocking the word Christian. Right. But You're just putting it, in it was the Antiochans who started calling us Christians. Mm-hmm. And then Christians didn't come up with that on their own. Right. They said, oh, oh yeah, those, those little, those little Christians, <laughs> you know, <laughs> those were people like, they're trying to be like that Christ. Yeah. But but Jesus, he said, go into all the world and make disciples. Means make mm. people like me. And there's a reason for that. Mm. He knew that we would come against the enemy. And if you don't disciple people, they don't know how to battle the enemy. Right. Sometimes right. it takes love. Always it takes love. But sometimes it takes authority. Yes. And you have to know in whose authority you're speaking. Mm-hmm. So if you're not discipled, if you're not reading your Bible, mm-hmm. if you don't have this stuff inside of you, mm-hmm. you're going to be like those two guys who went out, they're trying to cast demons out, and the guys look at them and go, yeah. uh, we know, we those, know guys. Right. those guys. <laughs> who are you? And then they get beat up. <laughs> we don't want to be that. No. I just used that scripture recently, right, to talk about the fact that this supernatural power only comes for those who is only available to those who know Jesus. Uh-huh. You try to counterfeit it, the devil's going to kick you out the street naked. In other That's words, right. expose you. Expose you and laugh the at you. the fraud you are. That's exactly. Right. <laughs> but I think part of that has... Um, that and the, the comp with the combination of not being discipled. That's why, again, we've come full circle. That's why there's not a move of the Holy Spirit, an outpouring mm-hmm. that we need mm-hmm. to see. We right. don't see healing coming as we need to see it. We don't see deliverance as we need to see it. But you know what I am kind of guessing? We keep talking about it. 
We keep talking about it now. Bringing people's attention uh -huh. to this. There are things that need to be done because he wants to do it. God himself is bringing this up. Amen. I want to show up, but I'm coming for a bride without spot or wrinkle. Get it cleaned up, church. You have to know who your bridegroom is. Mm -hmm. Are you going to be worthy when Amen. I show up? Oh, my gosh, Lonnie. I know the time. I know. <laughs> 25 seconds. Oh, Bishop Jackson, this has been one of the most incredible oh. interviews I've ever gotten to do. Oh, thank you. I would agree. I enjoyed every minute of it. Thank I would agree. You. Trying to figure out how we can get him back. You know what? <laughs> to be a schedule. I'm going to run in mm -hmm. and cancel his flight. <laughs> yeah, you're going <laughs> to have his admin calling you. My, no, my wife will probably. Your wife first. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> thank you. Thank so you. Much. Thank, thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Bishop. God bless you. I hope that uh, Bishop Jackson really blessed you today. He really blessed us. Thank you for tuning in. We'll see you again. This program is brought to you exclusively by the love, gifts, and offerings of our faithful partners. Thank you, partners.